0: This podcast is brought to you by org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas everybody. So really, all of Perik Lamed Vav deals with the exact same thing. Eila told us Esav Hu Adom. These are the generations, the children of Esav, who is Adom. And Pasuk Beis says, Esav, took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. That's Ada Bas Eilon Hachiti. That's li-vama Bas Ano Bas Sibon Akivi. And then it says in Gimel that's Bosmas Bas Ishmach nevayos as well as Basmas the daughter of the sister of Navayos. So we have three wives. We have Ada, we have li-vama, and we have Basmas. Okay, don't worry. You don't have to know those names just yet. But the first question that everybody has to ask here is why do we care about this? I could care, I couldn't care less about the children of asaph There is no reason why I need to know about them. There's nothing that I'm gaining from knowing about them. And now all of a sudden the Torah has to throw that in for me and say, oh, by the way, I have these children of Asav over here that we're talking about. Why? Why do I need this? It's totally pointless. So the Belzer says that after the Torah mentions all the children of Yaakov and goes through the 12 Shvatim of Yaakov, you know and what we need to know about them after they were born and what they did, including how they fought for Dina and everything they did over there. We then go into the children of Asaph to show you the major difference between Kedusha, the children of Yaakov, and Tuma, the children of Asaph. The children of Yaakov were willing to be Moser Nefesh to save their sister. The children of Yaakov went in, and when they saw something horrible going on, they were willing to fight they were willing to do something. The children of Esav are filled with mamzerus, all types of tuma, everything that you can imagine in the world. There's so much going on behind the scenes among the children of Esav. Who is with who? Who is the father of who? And everything that was going on. It's clear. There's so much confusion. You see why He's needs Bnei all in the world, yeah? I thought the words of Aesop, The first two was... well, hold on. Give me literally. Give me like three seconds. I'll get there. So that's the first thing regarding the Belzer Rebbe. The Belzer Rebbe says I I, I I don't get it. I, I it's. It, 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 there's an idea behind it just to show you the comparison, the contrasting between these and the others. The Chidah says the word toldos is purposely written twice with the later vav, but not the first vav, meaning there were two vavs missing in the two times it says toldos in this parsha, to tell you that there was six and six. Missing from ASO That's the 12 Shvatin that we're missing from ASO. When we go through all the other families in the Torah, for example, when we go through Nahor 's kids, and then Yishmael's kids... There's 12 kids of Yishmael. There are 12 kids of Nachor. We go through who they were in the fact that they also could have had 12 Shvatim. In theory, there could have been 12 Shvatim coming from them. They could have had 12, they could have had 12, and they didn't. By Esav, there's not even 12. At best, there's 11, most likely more like eight. You have something missing from them. The chidah says it's on purpose. To show you, Esav didn't even have the qualities necessary to be part of the 12 shalatim. Even though, in theory, Yeshmal did and Nachor did, Esav was completely gone. And that's the reason why we mentioned them. were there to say that they never could have done this. It's the universe, Shapiro says that Esav is known as Edom because both he and Yeshmal were necessary in the world for the Avos to get their Tuma out of their system. There was Avraminu who had a little bit of Tuma within him. And Yishmol was born to take that Tuma and to exude it out through Yishmol. So everything goes to him in the Bnei Keturah. Yitzchak is left as, so to speak, the perfect one. Yitzchak had to get rid of some bit of Tuma that was Asav, And then Yaakov was left perfect. And Yaakov no longer had anything. He was the Bechir Sheva Avos. Everything went straight straight through him. And it was as if you're putting the Shvatim, I guess even the Avos, into a kiln. Where you fire up something to take, get rid of the the deposits within the gold that are impurities and in order to burn it off you get rid of those impurities, you're left with absolute pure gold, pure silver pure whatever it is that's what we did with Klau Yisrael and therefore we go through Esav to get rid of that Tuma to allow Bnei Yisrael to be that much more pure that's the concept behind it, and Ashley Loach though he goes in a different direction we're about to speak about the major divide inside the Shvatim themselves how the 12 Shvatim had their own massive civil war between them with Yosef and the rest of the Shvatim. We even go through that there was an issue between the Bnei Shvachos with Don Asher, right, as uh, Don Asher Gud and Naphtali, how they were considered different than the Bnei Leah and even the Bnei Rachel, how they were treated differently. There's something that happens within Klal itself. So before we get to that divide, we go through something that he calls Berurim. The Hishpitzer says that we need to be separate from the nations around us. That's not just physically, like in proximity, we say that we're farther away from the other, sh- the other people of the world. No, that means that spiritually speaking, we can't have anything to do with them. We're separating ourselves from them and taking ourselves. And then we can divide amongst ourselves what each person should do, what every shavit should specialize in. Only then can we do that. We have to have one beer, one separation. And then after that, our own separations between ourselves for it to happen. The truth is that no one could really tell the difference between Yaakov and Asav. No one could tell (laughs) that difference between Yaakov and Asav for many, many years when they were growing up. They looked alike, and I know Asa was born with that red beard and the red hair and everything. It could have been that David was born the same, that David Amalek, that Yakovinu was born the same way. It could be that Yaakov also had red hair and a red beard, and no one could tell the difference between them. They seemed to be very alike in so many different ways. Even when Asa went off at the age of 15, it could be that people didn't notice it when you looked at them. It could be that Yaakov and Asa even wore the same type of clothing. That they looked very alike until they were 63 years old when Asa started to go off. That's, it's true. It was really, that, that difference was really recognizable in the womb. When Rithka Emenu used to walk by the houses of idol worship and Asaph tried to get out. She used to walk by the houses of the, the Bati Medrash and Yako tried to get out. There was something even there. But it's unrecognizable when the people are there. The truth is, it's difficult for people to see the difference between us and them even nowadays in this world. It's difficult. We look similar. We dress similar. We have their names. We have their language. We're speaking as they do. It's hard to notice difference. Maybe by men, you have a keep on your head or it sits us out that makes you a little bit more distinctive. But a woman doesn't always have that. Even if they're wearing a shaital, it doesn't necessarily show that they're different. There are women that are in the Arab faith, in the Muslim faith, who definitely look different. They look distinctive. You can see that distinct look. You can tell, especially if they only have their eyes looking. There's nothing more disconcerting than driving a car, looking next to you and seeing only a black hooded mask, right? That goes right next to you, that's sitting right next to you. And you're just like, how in the world <laughs> is she seeing anything? There's nothing. But that's at least, you can tell the difference. We can't always tell the difference. Says the Ishpitzer, the only way for us to eventually see Mashiach come and differentiate between Klau Yisrael and the rest of the world is for us to start to bridge, I guess, to make that divide happen right now. To take that connection that we have between us and divide it and show that there's a difference between us. And that's what this Parsha is doing. Look at what Esav is. They're separate. They're distinct. They have their own parak, so to speak. Their own area, the end of Parsha Vayishlach, and they're not like us. So says the that's why we put it over there. Demiam the Loi says when he starts off this parak in Lamed Vav, he doesn't say much throughout the entire parak, but he says, even though these three upcoming pars about Esav and Sayer, etc., have no real Chidushim, says the Miammois, which is surprising, have no real Chidushim. Nonetheless, there's a Chiv to go through them because the Shnai Mikrovech targum. You're supposed to go through every part of the Chumash well and understand it all. But you should know there are secrets <coughs> hidden within the text, he says. There are secrets that are there. If Moshe <laughs> Rebbe didn't put it in the Torah, there must have been a reason for it. And the truth is there's no difference between this partial of Esav and the partials of Shmos or the other partial of Baratheos. They're all the same in that way. They're all filled with secrets. Sometimes we're privy to a few of them. Sometimes we have nothing at all. These partials, this parak especially, parashas, we're privy to almost nothing of it. The Vilna Gon, this is from Tam Vidas, from uh, Rav Shurmbach. He says, the Vilna Gon said that these secrets were revealed to him about these Prakim. And he goes through them in his explanation to Sifra Ditsni Yusuf, the, the, the safer of Kabbal. And in his explanation to it, he goes through how these partials were mechadish to him, how B'nai Yisrael will be throughout galus, what's going to happen to them throughout galus, and how they're going to survive. All it is is names, but through the names he was able to figure out certain things that were able to tell him how we're going to live throughout the gallows. So there are secrets here. There are certain things that are there that maybe we don't really see. Maybe it's something that we miss out on whenever we go through the Parsha, but there's something there. And even just reading through the Parsha has an effect on how we look at the world. We see that Asaph still counts for something. And there's Ramazim here that are really, really special that hopefully will be revealed to us in the near future, that we can understand how they work. I will tell you Yalkut Ruveni has a huge piece on this Parsha, I did not understand what he was going through, and i didn 't want to go through all of it, but the A is a massive piece going through the children and explaining how it refers to different parts of the world it 's a very, very cool piece over here so something yeah yeah, but that 's for the beginning because when you're getting, you always say Parsha Yishlach the very first couple aliyahs, because when you're dealing with Yakov versus Asav, and you're dealing with business and work and whatever it is, and you're going up against Asav, then you should have this Parsha as like your lead-in to the rest of the week. I don't think, though, that it includes the end. I think it's only the first couple of Yeah I don't think it has to do with this. But I, again, this would be something that a makuba would go through, to understand the real secrets behind it. But I don't know. I'm not positive. So something really strange happens over here. As you mentioned before, this is uh, a Pusik that mentions... Three wives of Esav. We have Ada, Olivama, and we have Basmas. Here's the problem. In Parshus Tolos, we also mention wives of Esav. It's in Chavvav LaMedala. It says, "Va'yEsav ben Arba'yu shanab Kahisha. He was forty years old and he took a wife <laughs> as Yehudis Bas Be'eri Hachiti. Yehudis Bas Be'eri as Basmas Bas Elon Hachiti. And Basmas Bas Elon Hachiti. Over here, Elon's daughter is Ada. And over there, it's Basmas. Over here, we have Alivama Vama Bas Anam, Bas Tzivon. And over there, it's Yehudis Bas Beiri, right? Then it goes through at the end of the parsha, it goes through the other daughter Yishmal. But over there, she's called Machalas. Over here, she's called Basmas. So, what's going on? Did he have that many wives? Did he have that many wives over here? So, if you would ask me, I would have told you there are five wives of Esau. This is what I would have told you. Five wives evasive altogether. I would have told you there's two wives that he married over there. The daughter of Yishmael is the same daughter of Yishmael with two different names, right? And then there are five, four other different wives, two mentioned there and two mentioned here, all of them from the Chiti and Chivi faith. Three from the Chiti and one from the Chivi. If you would have asked me, I would have said immediately that would be the most obvious, right? That's the most obvious answer. The first two didn't have any children of note. You would have gone by them. You would have gone to Yehudis and Bosmas. Those two didn't have any children of note. So they're not mentioned over here because over here we're only going through kids. When he married these three wives, he had children of note and therefore everything is mentioned over here. That's what I would have told you, Rich. They had powerful and influential kids. Meaning if you would have asked me, I would have said immediately, five, that's it. We've got, we've got a good answer for it. But the Ramban says something similar, but not exactly. The Ramban says both wives from Parsha's told us may have passed away. Esav married the sister of Basmas Bas Elon, whose name was Ada. He did Yibum, but the other way around. He married Bosmas's sister named Ada. So when Basmas passed away, he married her, and married another woman named Olivama. So there were four wives. Two of them died. Why did they die? Well, it's obvious, right? What did those wives do wrong? In Parshas told us? they were burning incense to Avodah Zarah and blinded Yitzchak. Yitzchak, because he went blind from it, caused them both to die. And therefore, he had to marry two other women. One, the sister of his original wife. And the other one, just a random woman. So he did. He had those four wives, and that's that. That's what the Ramban suggests. And it makes a ton of sense, right? That that's what he ended up doing over here. As for Basmas and Machlas, the daughters of Yishmael, he says it makes sense. It's the same person. But since her name was Machlas, which means sickness in Hebrew, he said, I don't want to call you Machlas. That's a bad name. I'll call you Basmas, which means him, somebody sweet, somebody spicy, I guess, right? That's what it would be. I'm going to call you that instead. So we renamed her Bosmas. So altogether, says, says the Ramban, five wives. Similar to what I was saying before, five wives, two of them died, two of them came about, and we have Basmas and Malchalas being the same person. The Ramban also brings a medrash, that the first two wives he married, Yehudis and Basmas, were actually named for Esau trying to do tshuva. Esau at the time wanted to do tshuva. So he named his wives after that. Yehudis Bas Be'eri is that he wanted to become a Jew again. Basmas, he wanted, to, he wanted to do something good, to have himself smell good again. To bring himself back. And his point was trying to look for the truth. And unfortunately he messed up. That's the Ramban. The Ibn Ezra here, the Hizkuni, uh, the Ibn Ezra there, and the Chisconi over here—they say something a bit different. Esav had four wives. That Basmas and Ada are the same person. Basmas and Ada are the same person. Both are known as Bas Elon. Basmas and Ada are the same person. Their names were changed because of different parts of their lives. But there were four wives altogether. At the time, he wanted to bring himself back to Yitzchak. And you know, as we said, be, uh, I'm sorry, the Rosh Bam agrees with this approach and says that Bosmas and Yehudis are really the same person. But the others were separate wives altogether; they're completely different. Yeah. Um, another one is a trying to show sure that Mahalos can only be, uh, doesn't make not only be but also the and like... Very, very good. That's Rashi. We're going to get to that. We are going to get to that Rashi as well. But that's the Ibn Ezra, the Chizkuni, the Sforno, the Rashbam. They all say the same basic thing. That he did marry them, they had different names, etc. The Nitziv seems to prove it from the order of the Pasuk. No need to go into that right now, but it makes a lot of sense. Rashi agrees. Ada is another name for Basmas. They're the same person. She was called Basmas over here because she burned incense. She burned incense to a Zara. That's the besummon that she used to do, whatever it is. That's the reason why. She's called Ad over here for a different reason, which we'll go through. Rashi then says that Olivamah is really Yehudis Yehudas Vaspe'eri. Ivama is really the old Yehudas Baspe'eri. She was called that because she outwardly denied Avodah Zara while keeping a Zara in her heart. We know she was still burning incense back then in Teparsha Toldos, but it is the same person over here. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, there's no way... Esav would have abused the name of Hashem of Yudke Vovke by allowing his wife to have the name Yehudis, Yudhe if she wasn't a really good person. So he really thought that she was a good person. That's what Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, that he, she truly was trying to do the right thing. But it's a very, very strange Rashi. That Yalas Shachar says, but there's no way that they were trying to do tshuva. There's no way that that's really what Estev was doing over here. It must be that he's trying to fool his father into thinking that way. And really, it's strange to think that anybody could fool their father when he has Ruach HaKodesh, but it's got to be that way. There's no other way to explain it. There's no way that they actually did it. The Chidah says that the word Ada and the word olivama all come in, they have l- lishonos of Znus in some way, shape, or form. The chidah says Ada first made crowns to Ovarazara. The Torah Shlema says that Ada was because she invited everyone to come near her, or because it refers to pregnancy. She was pregnant from many different people, or that she kept herself away from Esav in order to be with others. That's Ada olivama. She made an ohel and made it up high in a bama in a higher area so that everybody had to climb up to her to be able to come to her. All Ivama could be that she made specific ohalim and bamos for avodah It's referring to all these things. The Khidan, the Torah, Shalem are all saying these were horrible people. These were not good people, and they all did things that either had to do with avodah nose and both. That's the idea behind it. Let's go back to Rashi for a second. Where did Rashi get from that these wives are connected to one another? How do you know that it's the same person? Where do you see that? So it's possible that Mizrahi says, because it says the word nashav over here. Nashav means his wives. His wives that he already had. Asav lokach es nashov. His already had the wives that he already had from before. It sounds like it's people that we already know about. And the only way that's true is if it's the same people from before that we met in Parshish Toldos. Says the Mizrahi, it's got to be that way. All the other Mephorshim would have to ask what the word nashov is there for, but that's the idea behind it. What about Chiti and Chivi? Okay, we have different answers. The Sivse Chachomim says there were mixed families. Some were known as Chivim, some were known as Chitim. So even though over here it's Chiti and Chivi, and over there it's that's chiti and chiti. Okay, there was a mixed family, maybe a father and a mother. Most of the Canaan, really, they were chitim, but they had certain aspects of chivi, of a snake, of other things like that. Rav Yaakov Kemenesky says something radical over here that I think is very, very different. We usually see the b'nei ches, the b'nos ches. That's what we call them. They're not called chiti. Why is it known as hachiti over here? It says Rav Yaakov Kemenesky. His chidosh is, these were not the b'nos ches. Esau knew that his father would not marry into those people, that Rivka Rivka had to be taken because Yitzchak could not marry one of the Benos Ches. So Esau stayed away from the Benos Ches. He stayed away from the Benos Kenani. He wouldn't marry into those. He married Achiti, Achivi. You know what that means? It means another nation that came to live among the Chitim, but was not of the Chiti faith. He wasn't a ben ches, a benos, a a, a bas ches. That's not who these people were. They were living in the area, but they were actually people from other lands who came in in order to get married. That's the idea behind it, that Esau married them and not people that his, his father would hate. Rivka, Rivka a man who said, I can't stand this anymore. I can't stand all the people. She equated them with Benos Ches. But they weren't actually Benos Ches. They were something totally different. And that's the reason why they're called this Chiti, Chivi, because they lived in different areas at different times. That's the reason why. Another issue brought up by Rashi. Olivama oh, in this in this part in this passage right over here in Pasuk Gimel, uh Beis, says Bas Bas tzivon achivi. She's the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Tsivon. Now hold on a second. Anna is a guy, Tsivon is a guy. How is she the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Tsivon? How can you be the daughter of two different guys? That's impossible. How is that possible? So, it was not adoption. Not exactly that, right? Says Rashi that Anna was the son of Tsivon, and Anna got married to a certain woman. Tsivon was together with his own daughter-in-law and gave birth to this lady, Olivama, who later became Esav's wife. So again, Anna was married to, let's just say, girl. That girl was with her father-in-law, Tzivon, Anna's father. And the child that came from that was this woman, Olivama. Olivama married Esav. And the whole point, says Rashi, is to show you, they were filled with Mamzerim. Filled with Mamzerim. Olivama was the biggest Mamzer of all. And that Mamzeres, who married Esav, was the father, she was the mother of so many of the different children. That's one of the answers that's mentioned over here. And if you look through the Parsha, by the way, you will see a lot of this, where all of a sudden there are people that are together with other people where like, wait, they weren't married at one point. There are about seven different issues of mamzerus within the children of Esav, which is another reason why we go through it, to show you this was not a very clean family. This is a horrible family that was doing horrible, horrible things. says a little bit more graphic. It's possible that both Anna and Sivon were fathers of this lady, Vama, that they were both together, the fathers. Now, that's a little bit of a problem. This tzlach, this is the note of Yehuda, Rabbi Chesko Landau. The Chesam Sofer says that's impossible. It's impossible for it to happen. And seemingly in science, it would be impossible for that to happen. But the tzlach says that it's possible they were both there. Ibn Ezra says Neither they might not, up. I'm sorry? Neither Ibn Ezra says they didn't know who the father was. It seems from the Tzlach he's saying, no, they both were their father. And that's why she's known as Bas Anna Bas Tzivon, right? But Ibn Ezra just suggests nobody knew. They weren't sure. It could have been Anna's daughter. It could have been Tzivon's daughter, but nobody had any idea. So it's mentioned as both. But there is a possibility that Anna is not a boy but a girl. It seems from the rest of the parsha that Anna is a boy, and it's not a girl. Because the rest of the Parsha, there doesn't seem to be girls mentioned anywhere. And Anna found the Yamim later on in the Midbar. So it seems like he's the one. It's a guy more than a girl over here. But it's possible that it was a girl. And that would make sense. Listen to what it says. Olivama Bas Anna, right? Bas <speaking> Tzivon, <Spanish> who is the daughter of Tzivon. That would make sense. That also works with the fact that we said before her name was Yehudis Bas Be'eri. Maybe Be'eri was the dad. Anna was the mom. Sivon was a Zaidi. Maybe that's what it's referring to. Sivon was Anna's father. That's a possibility. It's another way of looking at it. it. It could very well be that the Ibn Ezra's shot in saying that the Chizkuni, Tosuzbav of Asra, Cook Tazbav, all say that idea to be able to get there through. Now, we're going to get into something that's a little bit different in this Parsha. Rashi says Basmas, the daughter of is known as Machlas earlier, right? Earlier at the end, of Parsha's Toldos. So listen to this. The reason she's called Machlas, says Rashi, there are three people who are forgiven for all of their sins? All of their sins are gone once they have something happen to them. A convert, a ger, whenever a ger converts, converts, they automatically lose every single one of their sins. A king, when a king is put in charge, and that's not left off a king, a nasi, a leader of any with anything, a leader of a nation, as soon as they become the king, they lose all of their sins, and a chassan on the day of his wedding. When a gets married, he has a mechila for all of his sins. We learn from over here. When Esau married this woman, he had a mechila for all of his sins. That's machilas. Her real name was basmas. But he had a mechila for all of his sins. He was forgiven for everything. And it really comes from Yerushalmi. Bikurim, Perik, Gimel, Halacha, Gimel. It's not Rashi's Chiddush. It's from Yerushalmi, a Medrash Shmuel as well. In both those places, it takes out, by the way, the leader and puts in a Chacham who becomes Rosh Hashiva. If you become a Rosh Hashiva, you're, all of your sins are forgiven. It might be the easier way right, of getting there, just start, start another yeshiva, then you'd be perfectly fine. But that's what happens over here, which is amazing. As a side note, the base shmuel says, not only is it true by a chosen, it's true by a kala as well. A kala is forgiven for all of her sins as well, if she goes ahead and she does it, he proves it, because since a kala and a chosen both have the minig to fast on their wedding day, we have that, right? Whether you do or don't, it doesn't matter, you have the minig to fast, Right? If that's true, then it's like their own personal Yom Kippur. If it's their personal Yom Kippur, then they get a Mechila for their sins. So it's not only Mechila for the guy, it's a Mechila for the girl as well. Oh, what were you going to say? Uh, there's also, I uh, you turn, like, a certain age, I think it was 20, they you also sins. Like, like, Once you turn 20, you're, you're now Chayiv in sh, uh, like mitzvos Bidei Shemayim, meaning if there's a Kari's Bidei Shemayim, that's when you're Chayiv in that. You weren't Chayiv up until that point. But that's not a Mechila. That's not Mechila, it's that you weren't Chaiv, you were Pater up until that point, and then all of a sudden it comes in. I'm sorry? <laughs> not Bidei that's Bidei adam. Meaning anything that you could be punished for, Bidei adam. your are Chaiv in once you're 13. 20 is Bidei Shemayim, right? So that makes it a little bit different. Rav Schwab suggests the idea behind this, and I think it makes a ton of sense. Rav Schwab says, If there's Zoha, the Shechina rests upon them. In order to be good receptacles for the Shekhinah to rest upon them, they have to have a Mechila for their sins. If they're filled with Averos, the, the chasim and the Kawa, then how could the Shekhinah rest upon them? But Ish isha, if there is Zoha, they have the Yud and the Hay of Akarish Baruch Hu's name put together. If there is Zoha, the Shekhinah is with them. How do you get the Shekhinah? Must be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is is, is, so to speak, mochol them for everything they have. So to by a ger. If you want the shechina, the neshama of a Jew to rest upon them, they need to have some sort of a mechila on their sins. And so too with a king. A king is in charge of the people now. He's in charge of everybody there. He needs a mechila for all his sins. That's Rav sort of Schwab's idea, and it's brilliant. That makes a lot of sense. But why is this halakha put by Esav? There are so many people that got married. In last week's parsha. we have Yaakov marrying Rachel. Yaakov marrying Leah. Why not say there, he married Machalas? Oh, why is it Machalas? Isn't it Leah? You're right, it's my, it's only Machalas because he was Mochal for all of his sins. He got a Mechila for all of his sins. Moshe not gets married later on. Abram's marriage to Sarah isn't in the Torah. But you still have Yitzchak and Rivka. Why not mention there? Well, we have to say it by Esau that he gets a Mechila for his sins? It's got to be by him? What? So, But they still had something. The Ramban says that Abram had five sins in his lifetime. Now granted, we don't see that Abram had that. And... That's true, by Yitzchak and Yaakov, we don't see anything specific where they had Averos, but uh, what's the word? Adam ain't ba'aretz asher v'lo Person, there is no such person in the land that can only do good and not sin. So even the Avos as great as they were, they must add something. So why don't we mention anything by them? Why is there nothing about them over there? So why is it that way? So the Gur answers the simplest of all. You know what the Gur says? He's like, Yishmael's daughter happened to be named Machlas. So it worked out well. <laughs> worked out well. Her name was Machlas. It, it's true that a cousin gets a mechila for, for their sins. Good. We got both. You put both of them together. Brilliant. That makes a lot of sense. Mayona Shel says, the Malach of Esav is the Satan. The Malach of Mavis. You know, that's the Malach of Esav himself. If the sultan is able to forgive Asav's sins, the copious amounts of sins that Asav has, and he's able to take care of that, then the sultan will agree to take away everyone's sins. So no matter how bad you are when you get married, you're not as bad as Asav. And if Asav was forgiven, certainly you'll be forgiven. And that's the idea behind it, which makes a lot of sense. That's the idea behind it. The part is, Yosef says, the idea over here is that there are three levels for a person to get to. The first level that a person should get to is to master himself, to be the master over himself. Once you can do that, you have to be the master of your household, to be the leader of your household. And after you master your household, then you become a leader of the world. You can lead the world. And that can happen by a man or a woman. It does not have to be a man only who does this. A woman has to master herself, then she can be the master of her household. And she could be a leader of the world, similar to Vora and That's the idea behind it. Agar has mastered himself. He's mastered himself. And that's why he could, so to speak, get there. There's an idea of mastering himself. He's rewarded with the forgiveness of his sins. A chosan and a kala are mastering their household. They're one more. It's not just himself. He's mastering the people around him. And if you're mastering the people around you, that's the second level. You're able to master the people that are all around you. That's level number two. And finally, you can get to level number three. The third level is someone who becomes a leader. Then he's mastering the people all around him. And therefore, those three levels, they're rewarded with these gifts that they get a mechila for their sins. He says, this is all from the party of Yosef, that was the biggest issue with Nadav and Avihu. Everybody knows Nadav and Avihu looked at Aaron and Moshe. What did they say when Aaron and Moshe were walking down? When will these two people die and we'll be able to take over for them? That's what Nadav and Avihu said. When they walk by, this isn't Dustin and Aviram. This is not one of you, Aaron's kids. Aaron's oldest kids. And they said, when will these two guys die so that we can then take over the entire, the entire place? And then the manager says, the reason why not one of you died is because they never got married. They refused to get married. They refused. They said, no one's good enough for us. What's well, shot? If you can't master your household, you can't be a leader of the people. Another of the views problem is that they wanted to be leaders of people even though they'd never mastered their household yet. And if you can't master your household, then forget it, you can't go to the next step. You can't take the next step. They were trying to jump positions, which is exactly what they did. They brought a korban in a place where they didn't ask, and they were mora halacha bifnei rabam. They paskan halacha in front of the Rebbe. The whole idea of what Nathan of you did was this problem. They tried skipping steps without doing it in the proper order. That's the idea behind it. They didn't do their kapara properly, and therefore they got punished. Reb Moshe Feinstein says, suggests another reason why we learn it from Esau. He says, the biggest sin in the world is to have an awesome opportunity right there in front of you and squander it. You have a mechila, every Yom Kippur. You have a mechila when you get married. If you go the next day and do something dumb, you've wasted an unbelievably ripe opportunity. You have a chance to become brand new. This is like a brand new thing with nobody else there. How could you waste it when Asav? Took this opportunity and he was m- had mechila for all of his sins, and the next day was still Asav. That shows how bad of a person he really was. He's even more worse off from be- than before, and that's the pshat says the chida. She therefore called basmas. Later, she was makalas The opportunity for Asav to turn it around, he could have turned it around, and instead shoved mace. He returned back to being a dead man. He returned back to being Asav Harasha. That's what he became, like a dead person. In the Gemara Yuma Pei Zion, Rav went to a butcher who had wronged him. We don't know the story, but this butcher wronged Rav, had uh, done something to the covert of Rav. This is Rav Abba Surah, right? We're talking about the, the Rav from the Gemara, Rav and Shmuel. So Rav went to the butcher, he walked to the butcher. As he was walking the butcher, so it seems Rav Huna said, Rav Huna is one of the students of Rav, Rav is about to kill someone. That's what he said. Rav went to the butcher and he said, I need you to ask me for forgiveness because you did wrong me and I want to forgive you. To which the butcher got really, really angry and picked up his knife and immediately died. Ravuna was right. It's strange. Had Rav not gone to him, the butcher wouldn't have died. But because the butcher had the opportunity to do tshuva and it was right there in front of him and he didn't do it, therefore he died. When the opportunity is there and right in front of your hands... Yes, then you get punished severely for not doing it. That's the problem that happens with it. Rukhayn Knievsky asked, How does this work? Just simply put, he was asked in Derek Sicha. Derek Sicha is, I, I think it's only a two volume set. There might be another volume that came out by now, but there were two volumes that I remember. In Derek Sicha, they, they were just, it was really Rev El-Yaman, I think it is, who used to ask him questions, and Rukhayn would give him answers. He put a safer out with all the questions and answers that he asked. So one of the questions he asked was just this How does this work? How do you get a mechila for your sins? So let me get this straight. I could do horrible averos and then just go up to a girl and say, I re, I can be Kuddeshi, me Kuddeshi, but Get married to her, divorce her the next day, but I get a mechila for all my sins. I don't have to worry about anything. It's like Yom Kippur day after day after day. And as long as I can get a girl to agree to it, I could have the same girl every other day go ahead and be mechadish to me and then divorce, and then the mechadish me and divorced, etc. Wouldn't that be an easy way of doing it? So Val asked Rav Chaim Knievsky what you can do over here. So he said, clearly, obviously, there's o- the only way this machila works is if you do tshuva. You have to do something for it. It's not automatic that you just stand there and it's, you get a machila and you're done. No, you have to do tshuva. It's got to work that way. And it's no better than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, you also have to do tshuva. It's going to work the same way as well. He also says, it's possible it doesn't work for Ben Adam L'chavero. If you stole from somebody and didn't pay it back, or you murdered somebody, it's possible this mechila will not work for you, because Ben Adam L'chavero, it'll work only on Ben Adam L'makom. He says also, it's possible that you wouldn't work, it wouldn't be able to work when it comes to like Cholomoed. We have a Mishnah in Negayim that says, what happens if a chassin gets tsuras. How can a chassin get saras? He just sent a mechila for all of his sins. How could it be? So the answer is, obviously, he could have spoken Lashon hara right after he got married, I guess. But the answer is, is that even if you get the mechila, it might not work without tshuva. So it's possible you're still going to have something. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says, Asav truly wanted to do tshuva. And he really did when he married Machlas. Knowing that the two women he had al- women he had already married were not good people. And his father didn't like them whatsoever. When he had those thoughts of tshuva, he almost came back. And says to Rabbi he just failed. So we hint to this idea that chasanim are forgiven for their sins by Esau. Since at the moment, he really did do tshuva. At the moment when he married her, he really did have the right thoughts in his head. Even if his Yetzirah got a hold of him and didn't let him continue and finish off the deed of tshuva, but he tried so hard, he wanted to so hard, that's the idea, says the of B'chai. He did do something over here. Last thing I'm going to mention over here is the Orachim HaKadosh. He says the reason why Esav is called Edom is because Hashem swore to destroy Edom throughout the Nevi'im. And the Torah wants us to know who we're referring to. Who are the people of Edom? that Hashem promises to destroy, and it's all these people on Paraklamid Bav over here. Even when Esau pretends to be like us, even when they want to be like us, and even when they enwrap themselves in a talis to pretend later on, they're, they're on our side, that's not, a, that's not Yaakov, that's Esau. And Maybe, maybe, this is another reason why this partial was placed in the Torah. It's to show how much Esau tries to be like us, but will never make it. He's never been like us. He never will be. And unfortunately, that's going to be his downfall, his destruction at the end of days. So what do we do? We went through in the beginning why this Parsha is here in the first place. We then went through the wives of Esav, how technically there might be five, maybe even six, but we've whittled them down to five, four, maybe three all together at the very end of the day. We then went through machalas and we explained that a chaston and a kala get a mechila for their sins. We had to learn why that goes to ace of itself. And finally, this idea of how this works exactly. How can it be that a person actually gets mechila for his sins? We'll stop with that, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.